Amen. <clears throat> well, the book of Jonah is fascinating for many, many reasons. Uh, I just want to suggest two, one this morning and one this evening. I think that the book of Jonah firstly teaches us about the God of mission, the God of mission. And that is the title uh, for our message this morning, the God of mission, as we look at Jonah chapter 1 and chapter 2. I don't remember, I don't know whether you remember the day uh, that your world became bigger, your little world at home and with your family, the day that that world became a lot bigger. For many, it was most probably the day we went to school. I remember the day that my world became bigger. I went on a train. I'd been on a train before, but this train was different because my mother and grandfather told me that this train was going to take us through a tunnel to the mysterious land of England. And uh, so we went to England for the first time ever when I was seven years of age. And we went through the tunnel. And uh, we came out in what I remember was a sunny Bristol. And from the train, we were taken by the bus to Bristol Zoo. On the Monday following, as was the, uh, the want of uh, the teachers, you were given a little uh, essay to do on the Monday morning on what had you done uh, over the weekend. Where had you been, or who had you seen, or anything interesting. And so, remember that Welsh was my first language, and so I was writing this essay in English. And I obviously hadn't mastered the English language, because apparently my first sentence went like this. I went to England. England is a zoo. (laughs) There are many interesting animals in the zoo that they have in England. Well... I think my essay was marked and uh, prepositions and other things had to be uh, sorted out. But it was the day my world became bigger. Well, when we come to the Bible, the world of the Bible is a big world because the God of the Bible is a big God. And uh, the book of Jonah, I hope this today, this morning and this evening, uh, will stretch our minds to encompass Something of the the bigness and something of the the greatness of God. Uh, The title uh, to the uh, well-known book, well-known in past times, uh, Your God is Too Small. And uh, that can be so true, can't it? We limit God by our reason. We limit God by our experience. Uh, We limit God by what we think he should be doing and saying even But uh, as we come to the Bible, the Bible expands, the Bible stretches, the Bible develops, hopefully, our thinking and hopefully our experience uh, of God. So here in uh, Jonah chapter 1 and 2, we have what I'm suggesting is the God of mission. And there are three things that we need to remember about God this morning from these two chapters. I am obviously summarising Uh, Jonah 1 and 2. We are not having a detailed uh, exposition of all uh, the verses. That's the job of local pastors. Firstly, we see in the book of Jonah that God sovereignly sends. 
God sovereignly sends. The great commission of God for Jonah comes in verse 2. Arise, or get up and go to Nineveh, that great city. Get up and go. This is not Jonah's first commission. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we see that Jonah has had a commission before. He is to prophesy to Jeroboam II. He's to bring God's promise to Jeroboam that uh, God would restore through Jeroboam Israel's borders to the limits established by King David himself. We know from 2 Kings that that prophecy was fulfilled and Israel prospered. Now there's nothing like a good ministry day. There's nothing like a good prophecy being fulfilled through your work and through your service for the Lord. So Jonah had past experience of God using him and God speaking uh, through him, uh, even to the king of Israel. But in speaking God's word and seeing Israel saved and delivered, which would have delighted and encouraged the prophet Jonah, now the commission is a little different. Uh, indeed, it's, it's very different. Jonah is not to go to Israel. The commission comes from the same God. The commission comes by the word of the sovereign Lord. But this time he is to be sent far away to a pagan, to a Gentile people. Indeed, the word is very specific. He is to, he is to go to Nineveh, the capital city of Assyria. And we are told the evil, the wickedness of the Assyrian Empire, located in its capital, Nineveh, had come up to God. Assyria wasn't only far away. Assyria was the home of the enemy. Assyria was wicked. Their destructive cruelty and oppressive barbaric ways are well known in Israel. And they're well known in the British Museum, the Assyrian rooms. Go and have a look. You can see what these folks were up to. Their destructive cruelty, oppressive, barbaric ways. In other words, as you think today of ISIS, or you think of Boko Haram, that's who we're thinking of. We're thinking of cruel, oppressive people. They were pagan idolaters. They were outside the covenant community of Israel. But... God has a message for them. God wants to say to them that they're accountable to him. That their wickedness, uh, God knows of it. God sees it. And God wants to warn them. Indeed, call out against them. Because it has come up before me. They were accountable to God. God was choosing Jonah to be his ambassador. This was God's mission. Specific mission for Jonah. And I want to suggest this morning that the sovereign sending of God for Jonah typifies the sending purposes of God for all nations, for all peoples. We have here what is typical of the God of Israel. He's the God of the nations. He wants to reach the nations. And the purpose and the plan of God is to reach wicked people is to reach evil people and in case we think that is a faraway problem the bible tells me 
that my heart is desperately wicked, that I have a nature that is evil and sinful too. I, like the Ninevites of old, and my people, and my community, and my nation, is sinful and is desperately wicked. And I and we are accountable to him. Indeed, this is the great call of mission, that we are telling people everywhere and in every place that they are not only accountable to each other in families, they are accountable in communities, they are accountable to governments that God has placed, but they are accountable to God himself. And that accountability is something that the Bible teaches again and again. The mission of God, though, is to send his servants with a message that offers change. We shall see later on how that change occurs, but there is hope. And Jonah is to take that hope. What if God had left these people in their wickedness? What if God had left these people in their evil uh, condition? There would have been no hope, but he was sending his messenger. He was sending his servant. He was sending his word to bring these people from death to life. God is the God of mission, and he sovereignly sends. You notice here that uh, the sending of Jonah comes by the word, the word of the Lord. There is no mission without the word of the Lord. There may be many things, indeed there are many things, uh, that uh, involve mission uh, in the world that we live in today. But without the word, it is not Christian mission. And here Jonah is going and is commissioned by the word. Mission is not Jonah's activity. Mission is not the activity of men and women. Mission is not our strategy. It's God's sovereign initiative. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And the word of the Lord wants to send Jonah, wants to empower him, wants to mobilize him, wants to give him all that he needs on the mission. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord that uh, Jonah recognizes later on uh, in the chapter. The word of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. The sovereign word that sustains all things. The commanding word that came to Abraham to get him up and going to inherit the land. The word that came to Moses, go, speak to my people, speak to Pharaoh. The word of God that came to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you must go. Uh, We stand still today under this great commission because the closing words of Jesus Christ, just that one word, go, go, make disciples of all nations. It must be on the agenda of every local church. It must be in the mind of all church leaders. It must be uh, on the mind of, of, of the church individually and families as well. We are to be a going people. Go and to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. The word of God comes to mobilize his church. George Verwer, who is known for many things, has this pithy stay, saying. Uh, he says the church is to mobilize or she will fossilize. So mobilize, fossilize. These are the two 
the things that stand before the church. Now, God then sovereignly sends. But the next verse tells us the, the shocking response of Jonah. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God's presence is in his word, and Jonah wants to flee. Jonah wants to run away from the Lord. Now, a lot of ink has been spilt on the reasons why Jonah uh, wants to run away. Indeed, everybody I've met in the last fortnight, uh, I've asked them a question. I said, well, I'm going to London, I'm going to preach on Jonah. I said, why did Jonah run away from the Lord? Well, I've got about 12 answers for you from my little research. Why does Jonah run away from the Lord? What's Jonah doing? Well, he's afraid. Fear. Fear grips the man. If you were told you were going to a faraway place and they were not going to welcome you, perhaps. Indeed, it was the capital city of the enemy. It's like telling somebody, isn't it, in 1939 in London, oh, we're sending you to Berlin, uh, we're sending you to Leiden, we, we're sending you to Germany to be a missionary. Or even today, you tell people, we, we want you to go uh, to, uh, we want you to go to Beijing, or, or we want you to go to the Middle East, or we want you to go to inner or outer Mongolia. You'd have to be looking at maps here and thinking, what language is this in you? And you get to read about all these things. You think, I, do I want to go there? Do I really want to go there? He's reluctant. He's reluctant to reach out to the pagan aggressor. The pagan aggressor who deserves God's judgment. Indeed, later on in the book of Nahum, we are told the aggressor will receive the judgment of God. But here's Jonah, a Jew, and is he saying to himself, well, I don't really know, need to go to these Gentile pagans. Are the Gentile pagans, do they deserve the blessings of a covenant God? But I think the big issue is simpler. It's, it's disobedience. It's classic disobedience. Verse 1 tells us of the human evil of the pagans, the human wickedness of the pagans, but verse 2 tells us of the disobedience of a believer. The disobedience not only of a believer, but one who was in a prophetic office. One who was to be the servant of God. Disobedience finds its way into the strangest places. Disobedience, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says to them, is the default position of the human heart and human nature. Jonah's name means dove. Now, before we all get sentimental, dove in the Bible, Hosea, chapter 7, verse 11, Ephraim is like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Sorry if that's just deflated your picture of a dove, but Ephraim is like a dove, senseless and deceived. Or the psalmist, oh, for the wings of a dove. Well, what do you want to do with your wings? Well, I want to go far away. I, I want to escape. And here Jonah wants to, like a dove, which was the meaning of his name, fly away. But to fly away from the presence of God. Had he never read Psalm 139? Impossible. Wherever you go, God is found. There may be somebody here this morning and you have the Jonah 
syndrome. I hope I'm not being offensive or um, insensitive. But, but you have Jonah syndrome. You, you, you're running away from God. You know you're running away from God. You know you're running away from the will of God. You know you're running away from the good, perfect will of God. You're going in another direction. You're not going in the direction of God's word or God's will or God's purpose for you in Jesus Christ. We all have this far away would I roam syndrome. So Jonah, with resentment, disobedience, runs away from God. And I'm suggesting as you come to the book of Jonah, as you look into the mirror of God's word this morning, such resentment and disobedience can characterize each and every one of us. We question God's purpose. We question God's plan of mission. We question the direction of God for our lives. And off we go in a selfish direction. Why go to the nations? Why go to unreached people groups? Why go to a foreign country, to an alien culture? Why learn another language? Why plant a church in that suburb? Why send missionaries to a Welsh valley or an English town? Why send missionaries to London? Why go across the road? Why join the group that's going to do door-to-door? Why consider reaching Jehovah's Witnesses with the gospel? Well, there may be a word for us uh, here this morning. We must submit to God's sovereign sending purpose. Arise, go. might be the message of mission for us today. But secondly, not only do we see God's sending sovereignty, but God, secondly, sovereignly superintends. So Jonah is on the run, and so the plan of God is out of sync, or the purpose of God is going to be thwarted, because our hero missionary is running in the wrong direction. Well, our hero God is greater, and he superintends all things. Jonah's on the run from God. All seems so providentially convenient. The boat for Tarshish, just there when I needed it. Jonah's personal plans seem to be working out, but God intervenes. And uh, the section 1-4, right through to the end of chapter 2, we see it is God's activity that is superintending all things. Look at the details. Verse 4. God hurled a great wind. God is in charge of nature. And uh, then we read in verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. He's the Lord of the earth. He's the Lord of the seas. He directs every fish and every whale and every thing that is found in those seas. Such is the detail of his superintending providence for Jonah. And then in chapter 2 and verse 10, how does the fish know it's time to spew this man out of the system? The Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. It seems at this point the fish is more obedient than the servant. So here we have the Lord is involved in all things. He hurls a great wind. He plants, as the psalmist says, quoted by the hymn writer, he plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. God is in the storm. God is in the difficulty. God is in what is seemingly, which would have been for the Hebrew mind, the chaos of the sea. 
God is there with a plan and a purpose. What is the purpose? Well, God is to make himself known to the sailors. God is to make himself known to Jonah. And God is to make himself known to those in Nineveh. But sometimes the first work of mission is to awaken God's people. You see, God is working here on his own servant. He works on us first. We sometimes become sleepy. Jonah is here sleeping uh, in uh, the bottom of the ship. He's sleeping in the storm. We can sleep in our reluctance and our disobedience. We fail to share our faith. We've forgotten our privileges and our responsibilities as believers. But God will use all circumstances to shake us up. He'll unsettle us in the securities we are trusting. We see it here in verse 6. The captain comes. God uses the Gentile pagan captain. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. It's sometimes the pagan Gentile that points us in the direction of our God, who we seem to have forgotten. And in verse 9, we see that Jonah realizes again his identity. I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. So Jonah's conscience is being uh, disturbed here. He may be starting to realize his guilt and his fault. But all these hindrances to God's mission, we are reminded there's nothing, there's nothing more poignant than the sleepy state of believers caused by disobedience. But God overrules. God superintends. He works all things together. He uses the testimony of wayward Jonah. Verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Uh, Jonah comes and his testimony and his awareness of who he is, it uh, moves these sailors, whether they become true believers, but they certainly become God-fearers at this point. God then provides an escape for Jonah. God, we are told, provides this large fish. Jehovah, Jireh, the Lord, our provider. He deserved destruction and despair. But what happens? What is God's intention for Jonah? Well, we are told that God's intention for Jonah is to bring him, is to, bring him to a saving experience of his God. And this takes us to our third point. So the first point, God sovereignly sends by his word. Second point, God sovereignly superintends. Thirdly, God saves. That great text that uh, I hope we love at the end of verse 9. Jonah is brought to an understanding. He's brought again to a personal realization of what we can call this morning the heart of God's mission. The heart of God's mission. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God's unrivaled, incomparable expertise is that he is a saviour God. He's going to save this man from death, destruction and despair. And we see it here in a song. We see it here in a psalm. Every believer 
has a song. Every believer has a testimony. And it may not be outwardly as dramatic as Jonah, but all the inward elements of salvation found in this psalm are a part of every believer's testimony. Indeed, if it, if it is not a part of their testimony, if they do not understand that salvation belongs to the Lord, and that, that they can say, as Jonah does in verse 6 of chapter 2, O Lord, my God. It's one thing to say, as he did in chapter 1, that he's the Lord of earth and heaven and the seas, but then to say he's the Lord my God, and he's the God of my salvation. From distress and the depths of the grave, God saves Jonah. Look at the end of verse 6, because this is where Jonah was. We know that he's in the belly of a fish, but this is the experience. I went down to the land whose bars close upon me forever. You brought up my life from the pit. So he's in the pit. He's facing death. This is a near-death experience. And he's there because of his disobedience to God. You see, our disobedience to God, Romans chapter 5 tells us, the disobedience of the one man brought death and destruction. And that's what disobedience always does. And this is the whole predicament of humanity. Wherever people live, whatever their civilizations, whatever their time in history, whatever their cultural uh, greatness, we are living, the Bible says, in this, in this valley of, and shadow of, of death. Um, when I was in uh, university in, in the 70s, uh, many of us were helped by Francis Schaeffer and uh, his little book, Death in the City, there is death in the city of our society, our relationships, our views on life, our human interests. We become like little dictators. We determine how everything has to be crushed that does not revolve around our private, personal self-interest, economic advantage or optimistic expectations. We have embraced a private morality related to a personal God, any God, who meets my selfish expectations. And this sums up a little bit of Jonah, doesn't it? The selfishness, the preoccupation with his agenda and what he wanted to do. He needed rescuing. And the Bible says the whole of humanity needs rescuing. I need rescuing. I need to know the salvation of God. And salvation is only found in God. Salvation is not the result of some committee on earth. You will allow me on St. David's Day to quote the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist fathers. When they thought of salvation, where did that begin? Well, not where they were bringing together the confession in Bala and in other places in northwest Wales. That's where they were bringing it all together. But where was salvation counselled? Fourth, that was the phrase. Where was salvation thought of? Well, in the mind of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, before creation's dawn. Kin Senor Bede, for the few of you here this morning on St. David's Day. Kin Senor Bede, Kin Gossod Hail, Nasoir Nasir Benz, in Christian hymns translated for you. Before the sun, the moon, and the stars were made, God counseled forth this great plan of 
salvation, before the day of Jonah, before the day of Abraham, before the day of Adam and Eve, in the councils of eternity, there is a salvation that God will provide. God will send his son, and the son will obediently come, not no disobedience here. He will obediently come and accomplish all uh, the requirements of salvation. And the Holy Spirit will apply that salvation to our hearts. Now, Jonah's life and what happens to Jonah here is a sign of all this. Well, how do I know? Well, hundreds of years later, Jesus tells us that Jonah's three days and three nights in the belly of a fish was a sign. There is something that uh, this incident this morning is pointing towards. It signifies something bigger something greater because Jesus says someone greater than Jonah stands here and uh, in Matthew 12 38 40 we are told that the sign of Jonah with Jonah being in the belly of the fish in other words in this death experience for three days and three nights uh, that was pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ And that was given, too, to an unbelieving and adulterous generation. As Jonah was sent to proclaim God's mission to the Ninevites, so Jesus came to bring the message of God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And our task is to be servants, is to be messengers, bearers of the salvation that is found in no other. Indeed, there is no other name under heaven given that we might be saved. Are you this morning able to say that the mission purpose, the mission plan of God has touched your mind, touched your heart, touched your life? On this Mission Sunday, we're committing afresh to to the challenge of the sovereign sending purpose of God. We're committing ourselves to the uh, sovereign superintending of God over all our lives. And we're thanking God, we're praising again our God. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to him. Be all the glory, praise and honour. Amen.